to us today. Amen. The first reading is from Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15, and chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened to the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant, who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There, in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of woman. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I be fruitful? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child, now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid. He said, Yes, you did laugh. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son, whom Sarah bore him. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would, ever, who would ever have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to Thanks God. Thanks be to God. As Anna was reading, I realized I could have named this sermon the most unlikely Father's Day ever. <laughs> so when was the last time you laughed so hard that you cried? Or you laughed so hard that your stomach hurts afterwards? Have you had this experience? I had a friend in college, uh, Derek, who was, remains the funniest person that I have ever known and Derek had this comedic killer instinct where the moment he saw me laughing about something he'd said he knew just the right amount to turn it up a little one notch and then another and another until I am uh, in pain with laughter but what what sweet pain that is where, where does laughter fit into the life of faith today's reading begins with uh, three strangers who approach Abraham and it ends with raucous laughter. Last week we saw the call story of Abram, that after God had created the world and called it good, the world falls into division and violence, 
and hatred, and God calls Abram to leave his country and his kindred and go to the land that God would show him. And God promised to make a great nation out of Abram, and that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. It's an extraordinary call to both bless and save the world. And so at age 75, Abram and his wife Sarah leave their home in search of God's blessing. And along the way, Abram makes mistakes. Big ones. When Sarah draws the attention of powerful men, Abram pretends that she's his sister out of fear that they might kill him to get to her. He doesn't just do this once, he does it twice. And it's hard to see his actions as anything other than cowardly and abusive. And you might hear this and think, you know, does this unfaithfulness on Abram's behalf, would that negate God's promise? Sometimes I think it should. At what point does our repeated bad behavior disqualify us? Sarah makes mistakes too. Big ones. Even though God had promised that their descendants would be as numerous as the stars, Sarah still had no children. She's well past childbearing years, and so she arranged for Abraham to marry her servant and have a child with her. And even though this is Sarah's idea, once Ishmael is born, she becomes jealous and mistreats Hagar, abuses her, and sends Hagar and Ishmael away. Why? Because hurt people hurt people. Still, at what point does our bad behavior disqualify us? I I don't know the answer to that question, but God persists and reaffirms the promise to Abram, renames him Abraham, makes a covenant with him in chapter 17. And then we come to today's story in chapter 18, where God appears to Abraham in the form of three strangers. How is it, we might wonder, that God appears through people? Genesis doesn't tell us how, it just tells us that it happened. And I wonder if it always happens that way. You know, we come here week after week and we look to God in prayer and we sing to God in song. And every week we pray for the needs of the world. And yet the cycles of violence just continue and we wonder, God, where, where are you in all this? Is my faith just wishful thinking? And all the while, God is standing in front of us in the form of strangers. How we treat other people is how we treat God. And here in Genesis 18, Abraham doesn't just show hospitality. He goes above and beyond, bowing before the three strangers, inviting them in to his inviting them to stay with him. He tells them, let me offer you a little bit of bread. And then proceeds to have 22 quarts of choice flour made into bread. And a young calf is prepared and curds and milk, and then together they feast underneath the tree. The whole thing reminds me of Jesus at the wedding of Cana. Oh, you're out of wine. Did I hear that? How about 120 gallons of the best wine anyone's ever tasted? Wonderful. It's enough to make you laugh. Both stories testify to God's abundance in a world of scarcity. Because, because there is enough, there is enough, there is enough, oh, enough and some to spare. 
God provides for our needs, which means that we need not hoard what we have, but we are free to share generously with an open hand. And so upon sharing this abundance with the three heavenly strangers, Abraham has given a promise, an impossible promise, a promise that no one in their right mind could possibly believe. After all these years, Sarah would have a son. Guess how old she is by this point in the story? 89. Yeah. So how old will she be by the time she has the child? 90. Now we've got some 90-year-olds in our midst here who live with vim and vigor and make 90 look like, you know, the new 80. But, but nonetheless, what are we talking about? This is ridiculous. There's no way that she can have a child at this age. It's impossible. That's the whole point. The promise is so absurd that it's funny. Who can possibly believe this? And yet the stranger says, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Now there's a question worth pondering. Is anything too wonderful for God? Against all odds, against everything they knew about how the world works, Abraham and Sarah discover that God is the promise keeper. And though we may break faith with God, not just once, not just in small ways, but even in big ways, not once, but time and again, but God never breaks faith with us. God invites us to stand on the promises of God, even when they seem impossible. And that's really hard to do. See, faith isn't easy. And it often appears unreasonable. And I think that's a little embarrassing to most of us. A few years back, I heard a popular Christian pastor uh, say that I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And because his following was and is quite large, I started hearing other Christians use this saying. And I don't like it. (laughs) It's meant to be witty, because we normally think of atheists as those who don't have any faith. And so to say that I don't have enough faith to be an atheist implies that atheists have more faith than Christians, only their faith goes unacknowledged. And while I think it's true that everyone puts their faith in something, even if that something is what we observe with our senses, to say that atheists have more faith than Christians is not something you should be proud to say as a Christian. See, for us, faith is what the whole thing's about. (laughs) The Apostle Paul says we live by faith, not by sight. And so why then would we ever want to suggest that we somehow have less faith than other people? Uh, This attempt at being witty both belittles those with whom you disagree, which is always a bad idea, and it simultaneously diminishes the central component of what it means to be a Christian, which is to be a person of faith. But I think people say things like this because modern Christians are a bit embarrassed by faith. We like to think of ourselves as rational, reasonable people. And yet there is this central truth of the gospel which is simply not reasonable. And the good news that God invites us to believe does not sit nicely alongside all the rest of our beliefs. The faith that God invites us to have often feels impossible and seems too good to be true. And how could any reasonable person believe that Sarah 
is going to give birth to a child. It's absurd. It's laughable, which is why she laughs. So she laughs, and then God asks her, you know, why, why you laughed? And Sarah gets scared, and she says, oh, I didn't laugh. And God replies, yes, you did laugh. And I wonder how you've heard that verse in your mind over the years. Do you hear God scolding her for not having enough faith? Yes, you did laugh. You should believe in me, because I'm God. I don't think that's how it's meant to be heard at all. I think God knows how absurd this promise is. In fact, God made the same promise to Abraham in the previous chapter, and Abraham falls on his face laughing. God doesn't scold him. Who wouldn't laugh at this promise? I think God says this to Sarah so that she might know that even though she's hiding in the tent, God still sees her. Ashley Wilcox says of this verse, God has seen her struggle and her tears. God knows what she wants more than anything. And when she denies what she has said, God repeats it back to her. This is a God who knows her, who enjoys her spirit and her laughter. Beloved, God enjoys you and your laughter. And God invites you to trust the impossible promise that with God all things are possible. That even when we are faithless, God remains the promise keeper, and that is a reason for joy. Now, God hasn't promised me or you that we're going to have children when we're 90. But what are the promises that God has made to us that seem impossible? The truth is there are many. How about this one? Goodness is stronger than evil. Love is stronger than hate. Is that somehow easy to believe? How about the promise that sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes with the morning? What about this one? Your mistakes, no matter how big and repeated they are, don't disqualify you from love. God persists in blessing you, in loving you, in never letting you go, for in all things we are both seen and cherished by God. So why not laugh with joy? Hafez is my favorite poet, the 14th century Persian Sufi mystic. And his poem, Laughter, asks, What is laughter? What is laughter? It is God waking up Oh, it is God waking up. It is the sun poking its sweet head out from behind a cloud you have been carrying for too long, veiling your eyes and your heart. It is light breaking ground for a great structure that is your real body called truth. It is happiness applauding itself and then taking flight to embrace everything and everyone in this world. Laughter is the pole star, held in the sky by our beloved, who eternally says, Yes, dear ones, come this way. Come this way towards me and love. Come with your tender mouths moving, 
and your beautiful tongues conducting songs, and with your movements, your magic movements of hands and feet and glands and cells dancing. Know that to God's eye, all movement is a wondrous language, and music, such exquisite, wild music. Oh, what is laughter, Hafez? What is this precious love and laughter budding in our hearts? It is the glorious sound of a soul waking up. Wake up, O soul, for God can be trusted to keep God's promises. So what is left for us to do but sing for joy? Let's pray.